as we've been talking about and uh, introduced this part to you on last Sunday, and we're going through our, uh, our Wednesday night uh, Bible study, we, we're dealing with emotionally healthy spirituality. And as you turn to 1 Corinthians 13, look on the screen there. There's a picture of the iceberg. And we look at that picture of that iceberg, we, we see that well over probably 90% of that iceberg is beneath the surface. It's beneath the surface. Only the part, only about 10% of that iceberg is above the surface. Only 10% of the iceberg is seen by everybody else. And that's, that's, that's sort of the, 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 uh, the focal point for our study on emotionally healthy spirituality. Because what we understand is that most of us only show people that 10%. And that 10% that's above the surface is what we try to fix because that's what people see. But that 90% that's below the surface, many times we don't allow God there. We don't even allow ourselves to even go there to talk about what's happening, what's percolating beneath the surface. What's percolating beneath that smile that you come into this church on Sunday morning with? When you say, hey, pastor, bless the Lord, bless the Lord and highly favored. Are you really? What's going on in your home that you haven't talked about? that you, you've been afraid to even share with anybody. What's going on inside of you? Those are the things that if we don't properly learn how to deal with or learn how to deal with it properly, it hinders us from having the kingdom impact that God desires for us as believers to have. And so we, we're, we're, we're dealing uh, with emotionally healthy spirituality and this part two of this message is the problem of examining the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Because I submit to you, as we've been studying and we've been learning, that, that a lot of our churches are just like this church in Corinth. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, the Barna Group and others have done surveys, and it's, it's, it's been discovered that, guys, listen, when you look at the lifestyles of Christians and the lifestyles of those who have not made a profession of faith in Christ Jesus, there's not an appreciable difference in how we live and how we attack problems, how we deal with life's issues and situations. And that's a sad commentary. And we see that uh, here in the book of 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. The Apostle Paul is the writer of our text. And as he writes this text here, he, he's talking to the church at Corinth. Everybody say the church at Corinth. Say the church at Corinth. Say he's not writing to unsaved folks. He's writing to the church. That's critically important because as we see what's happening in this church and we see what Paul says here, it gives us an, a, a window into the, into the mindset of the, the church at Corinth and churches that are operating in the year 2020. I mean, it's, it's giving us a, a window into the look of the lives of believers and that stuff that's beneath the surface that drives us to act a certain way. Look at what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. We're going to begin our reading at verse number 1. Are you there with me? Let's read together. He says what? Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to what? Spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I got to talk to you a certain way. Okay, watch what he says in the next verse. Let's read. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, 
because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. Watch what it says. Next verse. Let's go. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. Again, who's he writing to? The church at Corinth. Not unsaved folks, but he's telling the church at Corinth. Look at what he says. For you are still controlled by your what? Sinful nature. I want to ask you a question. How many of y'all know people in the church, or maybe you're in that category, where you're controlled by your sinful nature? I mean controlled by your sinful nature. Your sinful nature drives the agenda in your home, on your job, uh, wherever you may be. It drives your agenda in the church. He says, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. Now, let me let y'all in on the secret. All of us still have a sinful nature. I don't care how saved you are, how filled you are, that flesh, in the Bible says, in the flesh dwelleth no good thing. So because all of us are wrapped in human flesh, we all have frailties, we all have faults, we, we all have little idiosyncrasies, little ways of doing things, little habits that we got to make sure that we put the word of God on it and allow the Holy Spirit to have his controlling influence. But they said, for you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another. How, how do you know? How do you know they're controlled by their sinful nature? He begins to, to walk it out for us. Look at what it says. Read together. You are jealous of one another. And quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? There it is. Living like people of the world. Verse from before. Let's read together. It says what? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul. Another says, I follow Paulos. Aren't you acting just like people of what? The world. Look at what he says in verse number five. Paul says this. After all, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? We're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. Next verse says what? I plant the seed in your hearts and Apollos water, but it was God who did what? Who made it grow. It was God who made it grow. Verse number seven. Let's read it. Come on, let's go. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. God does what? Makes the seed grow. Look at verse 89. I'm going to stop there. It says what? The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Verse 9, for we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. Everybody say, I am God's building. My body is a temple for the Holy Spirit and I am responsible for conducting my bodily functions in a way that pleases God. Now watch this, guys. Again, many times we find ourselves like the Corinthian church, acting like the world, just like the world, because we haven't dealt with that stuff that's beneath the surface, the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. I'm going to read a little something to you uh, Dr. Henry Cloud shared uh, regarding a uh, a, a conference, uh, uh, not a conference, but a, a counseling session he had with one of his uh, clients. Now listen to, listen to this real carefully because this sort of goes to the heart of being un- emotionally unhealthy. Watch what happens here. Uh, the lady, Terry, said, I'm so mad at him. He's so inconsiderate of my time and what I have to do. He always assumes I can do favors for him. And then the way he talks to me sometimes feels demeaning. I'm sick of it. 
What does he say when you tell him how you feel? And why don't you say no to the favors he asks when you don't want to do them? That's what Dr. Cloud asked her, the counselor asked her. She hemmed, she hemmed and hauled a little bit, then admitted, I haven't said anything to him about it. Now watch this. She's feeling this way. Come on, everybody say she was in her feelings. I need to, I need to look at y'all in the eyes. How many of y'all have ever been in your feelings before? Huh? You in your feelings, as they say, feeling some sort of way. She's in her feelings, but when the counselor asks her, her he says, listen to what he says. Uh, the counselor asks her, what does he say when you tell him how you feel? Well, she had never said anything to him. Well, then, he says, I don't think you have a lot to be mad about. After all, he may not even know you think his requests are excessive. He just sees you as, as a giving person and probably even thinks you take pleasure in helping. You can't be mad at someone if you're, if you're agreeing to, to what he says. That's your problem, not his. Listen to what he says. The demeaning part is different. No one should talk to another like that, and I'm sure that it does not feel good to you. So you do owe it to yourself and to him to tell him how what he says feels to you. Again, he may not even know. How many of y'all have ever been mad at somebody about something or feeling a certain sort of way in your emotions about something, but you were too emotionally unhealthy to go and talk to him about the way you were feeling? Look, look at me. I, I need y'all to look at me because I, 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 I feel some of y'all in here right now. You talk to everybody else about it, but you're not biblical enough or you're not emotionally healthy enough to go and do what Jesus said in Matthew, the 18th chapter, where you go to that person one-on-one and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Is everybody still with me today? We're going to talk today, amen, because we got to deal with the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. He said, he said but listen to what happens here. He says, but here's my biggest concern. Because you waited so long and you've been passive with him, you built up a lot of resentment. I can see it in your face. You had better deal with your resentment first and see how your own passivity has contributed to that so you won't be so mad at him. Then you can talk to him directly and I hope solve the problem. Listen to what Dr. Cloud said. She looked at me with an expression on her face of having gotten caught doing something sneaky or wrong. She knew what I said was true. Once she admitted this, she could work on her part of the problem. Owning your own failure to confront is one of eight steps you can take to prepare yourself to have that difficult conversation you've been avoiding. How many of y'all know some people you need to talk to, but you've been avoiding talking to them? Let me see your hand. I mean, you, you live stream audience. How many of y'all got family members, co-workers, where you need to have a conversation, but because of the emotional unhealthiness because of your lack of confidence in who you are, that stuff that's beneath the surface that you have not dealt with, you have been a little fearful about going and talking to the person about what you need to talk about. I'm, I'm, listen, this, ain't, this, ain't, this is not in your sermon outlines, so I want you to just jot these down real quickly. This, I, I thought this was good to, to share with you because emotional, the problem of emotional unhealthiness, we're going to finish those 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 symptoms of emotional unhealthy having those symptoms of emotional 
unhealthiness today, okay? But I want to share this with you because that scenario that was described uh, by that counselor with that, with that lady who was talking about her husband, she failed to have the conversation with him, hadn't even told him her frustrations. And some of y'all are sitting there right now frustrated with people to the point of being resentful, but you still won't go and talk to the person. And that's because there's some emotional unhealthiness that's abiding beneath the surface. You smile. You look great. Everybody thinks you're cheerful. Everybody thinks you're a wonderful person. But if you don't deal with that stuff beneath the surface, it's going to prevent you from being the person that God called and ordained for you to be. That's what was happening here in the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth uh, had all kind of stuff going on, and it was because they hadn't dealt with their, with their, with their lack of spiritual maturity and growth and dealing with the, the emotional states. The, health, the unhealthiness in the emotional caused them to, 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 to line up behind individuals, caused them to have division and strife in the church. So first thing I want you to write down as it relates to this, and we're going to move through this real quick, okay? So number one, own your own failure to confront and stop playing the victim. Own your own failure to confront and stop playing the victim. Own, everybody say own, my own failure to confront. And the word confront don't mean it has to be adversarial or contentious. It means that to confront means that I address an issue. Own your own failure to confront and stop playing the victim. A lot of people play the victim. Y'all got that one? Own your own failure to confront and stop playing the victim. The principle behind this first step is this. To the extent you allow someone to do something that you resent, you're part of the problem. To the extent that you allow someone to do something that you resent, you are part of the problem. They couldn't take advantage of you by uh, borrowing all your money and don't pay you back unless you let them. And you, you get resentful, but you can't tell them no. Everybody say it again. Say, own your own failure to confront and stop playing the victim. See, a long time ago, you should have sat that person down and said, now listen, there's obviously something going on in your household. Let's sit down, or if not with me, let's find, we, we, we have Christian financial counselors in this church that can help you. Let's sit down with them and find out where is the hole in your bag. Because I got to find out where the hole is in your bag so we can plug it up so that you won't keep coming back to me every five or six months asking for financial help when the problem is you got a hole in your bag. Am I, am, am I, are, are, y'all, are y'all listening to me today? It may not be money. It may be something else. Where somebody uh, 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 continues to do that. But part of that problem is, is that you're part of the problem because you, you to, to the extent that you allow someone to do something that you resent, you're part of the problem. In Leviticus 19 and 7, the Bible says this, do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. I got to read that again. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. The word rebuke here in in Leviticus 19 and 17 is not necessarily an adversarial word. It can mean to reason together or to correct. This verse directly ties our resentment to our failure to talk to someone about something. 
In addition, guys, if we avoid confrontation, we share guilt in the problem. So I want you to think about it for a second. How many of you sitting here in this church today, born again believer, know that there's something that you need to address with somebody who's, who you're in relationship with, but you won't address it and now you're feeling resentful because you won't address that issue. You won't talk to them about what you need to talk to them about. I said this before and I, I said this with every married couple, everybody's in covenant relationship. Listen, we ought to be able to, if we're in covenant together, including in the church, we should be able to talk about whatever we need to talk about. Look at the neighbor and say, neighbor, we need to be able to talk about whatever we need to talk about. So own your failure to confront and stop playing the victim. Number two, own your motives. If I say own my motives. There are many reasons to confront someone, some good, others not so good. But the majority of the time, we probably have a mixture of motives. Amen? Or at least a mixture of feelings that motivate us to confront. Are you tracking with me today? That motivates, we live out our true motives one way or another. They show up on our face. How many of y'all ever walked into a room and you knew somebody who you're in a relationship with, you could see the look on their face that something was not right? Huh? And you ask the question, what's wrong? What do they say? Nothing. Hello, am I talking to somebody up in here? They say nothing. And in some cases, sometimes they'll come back later on, but but a majority of the time, they just let it go and they don't deal with the stuff that's beneath the surface and it's causing a root of bitterness to rise up on the inside of them and it's causing them not to be spirit-minded. Are y'all with me today? So, so, So we live out our true motives one way or another. They show up on our face and our choice of words and the amount of emotion we take into a confrontation. And sometimes even in the way we, we construct or design the outcome of that confrontation. <laughs> in Ecclesiastes 7, 21 and 22, Solomon said this, don't pay attention to every word people say or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. I got to read that one again. He says this, do not pay attention to every word people say or you may hear your servant cursing you for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. In other words, having negative or unloving feelings is human. How many of you since you've been born again have had some negative feelings toward the person who you're in covenant with? I mean, whether it's your children, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your church member, whether it's your co-worker. Hello. But we got to be honest about that and quit pretending like it what we didn't feel that. Yes, you did. So we got to let the Lord into that area of our life. Amen. In other words, guys, listen, listen to me carefully. Having negative and unloving feelings is human. So open, be, so be open to that. And then confess these feelings to God and to someone else. Go to 1 John 1 and 9 with me right quick. 1 John 1 and 9. And we'll look at that uh, from the KJV. Very familiar passage scripture. I can quote it, but I want you to see it. Amen. And then we're going to look at James 5 and 16. 1 John 1 and verse number 9. 1 John 1 and 9. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Text says, let's read together. What does it say? If we 
confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from what? From all unrighteousness. If we do what? Now to confess means I do what? I got to say something. In a court of law, you can't just nod your head. No, they're going to say, say, speak, say yes or no. If we confess our sins, he is, who is he? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. That he is Christ, he's our Lord. He's the one who's the forgiver of our sins, amen. Jesus and God are one and the same. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? Cleanse us from all un righteousness. Go to James chapter number five and look at verse number 16. So that means that, that I got to be honest. I can, if I don't confess it, if I pretend like uh, th- there's nothing there, if I, if I don't examine myself and to say that, hey, listen, I was feeling kind of off and, and, and I was thinking some things that really wasn't, wasn't godly. I kind of want to get you back. I was so mad at you. I want, I want you to hurt like I hurt. Any of y'all have been there before? I'll share this with you guys. You know, one, one of the things that, that tends to happen, um, I'm just going to say it. One of the things that tends to happen in, in a marital relationship when one person hurts the other, particularly when they hurt the other one, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, infidelity, okay, when somebody steps outside the marital bounds, what typically, you can ask most marriage count, what, what, what you have to guard against at that point in time is that the, the one who's been hurt, the one who's been victimized will now begin to think in their minds, well, I want them to feel the same way I felt, so I'm going to go find me somebody to mess with. That feeling pops up even in the church. Okay? And so, 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 so that feeling pops up and what will end up happening is if you're not careful, if you don't put guards up, the one who got victimized will find themselves running to somebody else and then doing the very same thing. And guess what, guys? Two wrongs still don't make a right. Are y'all with me today? And so we got to be very careful because what will happen, not, not only in just that arena, but in other areas too, we try to get people back. But the text tells us here, watch what it says here in James 5 and 16. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? Availeth much. What James says here, when we're in covenant relationship with with other believers and and then we have some things that go on in our life, he says, confess your faults one to another. I hear some of y'all right now. Well, I just, it's between me and God. The Lord and I got together. Listen, I'm not saying that there are, not, there are times that there's certain things that, that you and God get it straight, but there are times, guys, especially when there's emotional unhealthiness that's the body, it's going to help you to confess to somebody who you can trust and say, man, this is what I did. Oh, now, okay, pastor. Now, pastor, there's some stuff I'm not going to let anybody know about. I'm not telling you to go and tell all your life story, but I'm here to tell you, if you have not 
dealt with that issue. This, this is part of the healing process. Confess your faults. It didn't say to God, it said to what? One another. That doesn't mean that you get out in front of the whole church because some people can't handle your faults. Some people will wig out when you tell them what you did and what you said. But there ought to be somebody in your life whom you can go to and have a close relationship with and say, listen, I messed up. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another because we need prayer. We need deliverance that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? So when righteous people play, and our righteousness is not based on our goodness, it's based off of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, did. Confess your faults one to another. Everybody say, confess it one to another. So we all, we got to, the second thing I told you on this was, own your motives. What is your motive behind the confrontation? Okay? Now, here's some some examples of bad motives for confronting. Just listen to these. You don't have to write them down. Just listen to them. Here's a bad motive for for confronting. Uh, The desire to punish and get revenge. Everybody say bad. The desire to make someone feel bad, such as toxic shame or guilt. You want want them to feel bad. You want to shame them. That's a bad motive for confronting. The desire to get back at someone for things you have not dealt with. Bad motive. I say bad motive. The, the desire to feel power when you have been powerless and to make the other person feel powerless. Bad motive. The desire to control when you have been controlled by the other person, thus reversing the roles. Everybody say bad motive. Because see, some people want to confront and, and they want to deal with your stuff so they can have control over you because they know your stuff. And then now they, they, they have a sense of control because now if you say anything, it could be in another area, they'll bring up that thing you did five years ago. Because they're trying to control you now to the point that you can't address the issue that's a legitimate issue to address. But they said, what about what you did five years ago? They're trying to control. Everybody say bad motive to confront. The desire to use the other person as a target for other similar wrongs you have suffered. Bad motive. So what are some examples of good motives to confront? Well, to stop a bad thing from happening to you and end the hurt. That's a good motive. You don't want to continue to have the bad thing happen. I'm going to say something to you. Guys, listen, whenever you mess up, and all of us mess up along the way in various areas, one of the signs of true repentance is a turning away from the thing that you messed up in. The Bible says this, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow. Sorrow that you got caught don't lead to repentance. I got to say that again. It sounded good to me. Sorry that you got caught doesn't lead to repentance. How do you know that a person has truly repented? They turn away from the thing that they fell into. Because all of us guys are subject to falling in any area. Don't you dare come up in this church and say, I will never. You better say with the help of the Lord, I will never. Because if, if, if I were to pull out the, 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 the digital display of every one of us, every one of our lives in here, if I had the ability to point that, if I had the ability to just point, just point my phone at you, and then when I point my phone at you, your life start playing on this screen. There we go, right now. Here, here we come. I'm come. Sherry, I'm coming to you. Fick, I'm coming to you. Faye, I'm coming to you. Some of y'all start doing this number. You remember in the old church? They raise their hand and get out of there. Nobody in here wants their life 
to be displayed on this screen. Because there are some things that we've all have, have made some poor choices and some poor decisions. And we thank God that he forgave us because he said if we confess our sins, he's faithful to just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west to remember them no more. I'm covered by the blood. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that the blood washes away all of my sins. But I got to have godly sorrow. God, if you're still doing the same stuff that you fell in, you hadn't experienced godly sorrow. If you still are doing the same thing, you haven't dealt with the issue. So what's another good reason, a good motive for confronting? To restore closeness. What's another good reason? To bring to light you, your and the other person's contribution to a problem so you can both move forward. What's another good reason for a good motive for confronting? To achieve greater intimacy. If you want greater intimacy, you have to learn how to confront things. I, I told you before, the Bible says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A friend loveth at all times. See, if there's true friendship, a true relationship, then when you confront, it draws you closer. Amen? Some of y'all are running from issues and you won't address issues. That's why really you don't have true, true covenant friendships and relationships. You just got acquaintances. And as soon as they do something that, that, that makes you mad, you go on. You, you cut them off. You unfriend them on Facebook. <laughs> How you thought you were good friends on Facebook and never even met? I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying it's a tool that you can utilize. But you, you get so in-depth on the number of friends you have. And when you post something with your unhealthy spiritual self, the number of likes, you look and see how many likes I got. You start feeling good when I get a bunch of likes. But when you start getting some dislikes and some frowns, frowny faces or whatever, now you're all hurt and disappointed. So you go try to find something else to put out there so you can get some likes. You got to accept what is going on on the inside beneath the surface, the iceberg. What's going on beneath the surface in my life where I have to have that affirmation from people? Can I get a witness? What's another good motive to, uh, to, 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 to uh, confront? To correct something wrong in the relationship. What's another good reason? To help the other person grow. To stop, what's another good reason? To stop a destructive cycle or pattern of behavior in someone's life. Some of y'all are in relationship with people where they got some destructive behaviors and patterns that are happening in their life, and you sit back and won't say anything and see them going that way. I'm telling you, you better confront. That's what that's a good reason to confront to stop stop the destructive behavior. Let's, let's go, let's, let's go to the third thing. I can give you a whole lot of other rules on there, and, and, and I'll, I'll post these. We'll, we'll post these uh, on, on the website, uh, and uh, excuse me, on the, on the app where you can get those later. Um, so another good reason to confront is to, to, to problem solve when you are at an impasse or see a destructive pattern. All of us have been in relationship with people who, who show destructive patterns, and we need to get God's word on it. We need to get God's, uh, God's directive on it and, and go to the person and talk to them about the issue. Amen. Now, now listen, 
uh, I, I, I like I like what Proverbs four and twenty three says, because you, 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 whenever we do anything, ultimately our motives will come out in the end. Okay, Proverbs four and twenty three says, "Keep thy heart with all diligence." Proverbs four and twenty three says, "Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life." If you don't do a good job of looking into your heart, hear me carefully. If you don't do a good job of looking into your heart at your motives you will create other issues in your life that you're going to have to deal with. Let me ask you a question. Why do you come and serve at church? Is this out of obligation or is it out of love for God to spread the gospel? What is your motive? Why do you preach? Why do you teach? Why do you pray? Why do you go to that meeting? Why do you sing? Is it because your motive is to be you to be built up and edified or is it to edify Christ? Why you do a thing is very, very important to God. Not just the fact that you did it, but why you did it. Amen? Number three, own your own fears. Just start it down. Own your own fears. Own your own fears. Have you thought about what you are afraid of in confronting another person? Because I know some of y'all sitting there right now, you are fearful about confronting an issue, talking about an issue. You're timid. You, 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 that's, you, you, you don't do that very well. And I, we, we, we've talked about this before, how important it is for us to learn how to, to, to address issues. All right? But, but if, have you thought about what you're afraid of in confronting another person? If you haven't, your fears will probably interfere and you won't get the outcome that you desire. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. Come on, we've got to move, guys. Own your fears. Everybody say, own my fears. See, when you know what they are and you're aware of them, it will help you to see, it helps you to see your fears when they arise, when they come up, you observe them and you then you won't give in to them. Remember what Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7, y'all know this, uh, but I want you to see it in print. He says what uh, uh, desire to be teachers of the law. Uh, is, that, is that right? Hang on one second. 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 7. Glory to God. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Thank you, Dick and Charles. Good to have good Bible studies in the audience, right? 2 Timothy chapter number 1, and let's look at verse number 7. Can we read it out loud on purpose? Let's read. It says what? For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of what? A sound mind. Let's read it out loud again. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Now, understand the context of what's happening here. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to his young protege in the ministry by the name of Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor pastoring older people, and here Paul is trying to encourage him not to, to operate in fear. Watch this. For God is not giving, he was timid in nature, shy, and Paul says, don't, for God is not giving the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and what? A sound mind. So anytime fear begins to rise up on the inside, I'm talking about unhealthy fear, ungodly type fear. We ought to fear God. Right? That means to reverence and respect God. But this is this is fear. I'm just literally scared to act, scared to move, scared to confront. 
God, where did that come from? That didn't come from God. God gave you a spirit of, of power and love in a sound mind. Amen? So, so, so if you haven't, your fears will, 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 will interfere. If you, haven't, if you haven't recognized that you have these fears, they, they'll begin to pop up. So, so what, what are some common fears that we face? Fear of rejection. Some of y'all won't confront because you think if I confront that person, they're going to reject me and they're going to end the relationship. Baby, let me, let me tell you something like this. If, if, if they end the relationship because you confront a wrongdoing, that relationship wasn't worth having. Some of you parents right now uh, won't deal with stuff with your children because you, you, you're afraid they ain't going to come visit. They've been irresponsible for the last 10 years. And they've been sucking you dry. And now you finally say no. And they stop coming around. Well, baby, let me tell you something. I love you. But listen, you ain't going to control me that way. Hello, parents. I'm talking about your grown children now. The one to try to manipulate you. We ain't going to bring the grandbaby by and let you say, yeah, they are, because they, 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 they want to go out and, and do their own thing, so they're going to keep dropping them off. <laughs> Listen to what I'm saying. Listen, fear of rejection causes us not to confront. Fear of disapproval causes us not to confront. Fear of retaliation will cause us not to confront. Fear of loss, fear of the other person's anger, fear of hurting the other person, fear of repairing, uh, fear of requiring another person to take responsibility, fear of depriving someone, fear of conflict, fear of being mean, being being told you're being mean because you won't let me borrow $100. Baby, I ain't mean. You already borrowed $500 and didn't pay me back. I'm seeing you be irresponsible. I'm seeing you go to the boat and gamble your bill money away and come to me for your bill money. That's irresponsible. I'm not helping you. I'm, I'm, I'm causing you to keep doing what you're doing. Love covers them up to the sin. Yes, it overlooks, but love don't let you go on and destroy yourself. Love says, I see where you're headed. It's against God's will, and I'm going to stand with you by not giving you everything that you're asking for because helping you is hurting you. Sound like a blues song, don't it? Helping you, baby. <laughs> Sometimes, guys, we got to get real. And, and people who don't even know the Lord will try to tell you how you as a Christian should act. You don't even, come on. Just because I don't give you everything you ask don't mean that I'm not loving you. As a matter of fact, love can be exhibited by me not giving you what you ask because I want you to be responsible. I'm willing to help you, but there's a process we got to go through. And every time I give you advice, you don't do what I, the advice that I give you, which is biblically based, spiritually based, and now you still want me to help you, but you ignore the advice that I give you. That's just not the way life works. Hello? All right, all right. So, uh, own your fears. Number four, own the other person's legitimate complaints about you. Sometimes people got complaints about us, and it's, it's, it's legitimate. It's legitimate. Own the person's legitimate complaints. Sometimes, sometimes we are part of the problem. Can I get a witness? You need to own your part of a problem before you, before you have a difficult conversation or con- conference, before you confront the issue. Own your part of the problem. Number five, Own your distortions of who the other person is. Own your distortions 
of who the other person is. Sometimes we distort what the other person is. We all have a tendency to see people in light of past experiences. Go to Acts the ninth chapter, verse number 10 with me right quick. Acts chapter number 9, and we're going to look at verse number 10. Because guys, we began to talk about, and we left off at, at number 5, I think, or 6 of last week. We, we talked about um, symptoms of emotional unhealthy spirituality, using God to run from God. Ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. Dying to their own things. Denying the past impact on the present. Dividing life into sacred, secular and sacred compartments. And doing for God instead of being with God. Watch what the text says here. Remember I said, own your distortion of who the other person is. Sometimes we distort who the other person is. Look at what the text says here. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in the vision, Ananias. And he said, behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the street, which is called straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Now watch this now. See, your Ananias distortion of who Saul is, because he's viewing Saul based off of who he was in the past. Because remember, Saul in this ninth chapter, was on the road to Damascus to persecute the church, to throw folks in jail. He had official papers from governmental authorities to throw Christians in jail. But he met the resurrected Savior. Come on, somebody. Anytime you meet Jesus, he won't leave you like he finds you. If you truly meet the Savior, there's going to be a transformation in your life. If you keep on doing the same thing you did before you met him, there's a good chance you hadn't met him. So you better check yourself. This is the last time I'm going to tell you, look at your neighbor. Check yourself. And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the street, which is called straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul or Tarsus for, he, for the holy prayer. Watch, watch this. Again, what, what I just tell you, I said that, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we, we have to own our distortion of who the other person is. Sometimes our conf- confrontation, we got we to make sure that we, we're looking at people the right way. And have seen in the vision the man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Verse number th- uh, 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to, to thy saints at Jerusalem. How many of y'all have had people confront you or address you based off of their past experience with you? How many of you are looking at a person based on how they used to be and coloring your outlook at them based off of what they used to be, what they used to do. He says here, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Next verse says what? And here he hath, he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Next verse says what? But the Lord said to him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Lord told me, listen, that's my man. Go to verse number 26. Now, Ananias got revelation, laid his hands on Paul. Paul uh, received his sight again and was filled with the Holy Ghost. But there's other folks who still were judging Paul based off their past experience. And when Saul, his name was Saul here, it's changed to Paul. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciple. In other words, he wanted to join and connect with the disciple. But look at what happened. 
But they what? They were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Saul had laid hands on him, filled him with the Holy Ghost, but there were still folks who said, nah, nah, I don't believe that. How many of y'all got people in your life who say that the Lord has changed them, but you don't believe it right now? You're still a little bit apprehensive. How many of y'all, you know, people who you used to hang out with now don't really believe that you really got that Jesus who you're talking about? See, once people begin to see over a period of time our lifestyles, then they they can begin to believe. But initially, a lot of times people will doubt that there's a true change that takes place. And that's what's happening here in this text. And they believe not that he was a disciple. So own your distortion about who the other person is. Sometimes we think the other person is, 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 is racist because they don't look like us. Well, you don't even know the person. Can I talk? You can't automatically assume something about a person until you interface and have relationship with that person. How many of y'all know some of y'all people have assumed that you are mean because you don't you don't smile a whole lot. And, and maybe you're not smiling because your front tooth out. <laughs> Hello? So you, you do this. I mean, come on. <laughs> you made that, <laughs> you made that determination without ever having a conversation with that person. And it's, it's sad that we a Christian do that. And we do that with each other. Again, guys, let me say this right quick. And I, I'm, I'm going to preach a sermon on this racial divide in the church and in, our, in this country. I, I, we got, we're going to talk about that because we got to get that right. And it starts with the church. Those conversations that we had back in the summer when we taped those things, listen, we, we, we're not through with it. We followed up. We, we, we've, there's several uh, couples in this church that are, that are part of a multi-ethnic Bible study group, and we're building relationships with people who don't look like us. Because it's a sad commentary. It is wrong for you as a Christian to assume that somebody is racist when you don't even know them. Now, when a tree shows you what it is, believe it when they show you. Tree is known by the what? The fruit that it bears. But you cannot automatically assume that you know me and you don't know me. I'm talking to Christians now. Hello, Christians. Hello, Christians. It's wrong to judge a person without even knowing a person or to make assumptions about them without even knowing them. And some of y'all do that quite often. Hello. Some of y'all do that with the pastor. Come and ask me. My door is open. I'll tell you why I made the decision that I made. You don't have to go around and shh, shh, shh. come and ask me. Hello? Why I don't teach at Sunday school? Because you don't come to Sunday school. How are you going to teach and you don't even read your Bible? How are you going to teach others and you won't come be taught? That don't work here. Are y'all still tracking? I got to move. I got to move. Are y'all still in love with me? Okay, I just need to know that. I'm still still in love with y'all. Did that make you feel uncomfortable? The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. 
So I love all of you guys. I love you enough to preach truth to you. And I'm not one. I'm not, I'm not looking just to build church full of members. I, God wants and I want as your pastor, I want disciples. I want learned ones who are willing to follow the word of God and let's do ministry God's way and not just a traditional way. Number six, number six, write this now. Seek understanding of the other person. Seek understanding of the other person. So many times we look at a problem without trying to understand what caused the other person's struggles in, in defense of it. We just know we don't like what he or she did and we get mad and we get upset. Sometimes people may respond a certain way because they're going through something. And I, what I've learned in life, everybody say pastor has learned. Say so he didn't always know, but he's learned. What I've learned is when you, when you, when you face somebody and then they, maybe, they, they're, 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 maybe they're rude or maybe they're uh, offensive. Many times it's because they're dealing with something that they don't know how to deal with. And so my, 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 my responsibility as a believer, I believe, is to get to know that person so I can unpack the stuff that's beneath the surface. Help them to unpack the stuff that's beneath the surface, that iceberg, that 90% that nobody knows about. And so they, maybe they came in rude and mad because they've been dealing with some stuff that they don't know how to deal with and, it's, and it comes up in how they respond to you. So let's see if we can help somebody, okay? All right? Number seven, deal with your emotions somewhere else. In other words, you go to confront, don't, you know, flesh that stuff out before you go to, the, to that person. Deal with your emotions somewhere else. In other words, don't deal with your emotions. Don't let it come out in the confrontation. Because some of y'all be sitting like, Lord Jesus, help me, hold me, hold me, Jesus. You start shaking. Look, mm-hmm. They over there talking. You over there, mm-hmm. You start patting your leg. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, because you hadn't dealt with your emotion prior to it, then you bust out. Won't even let them finish talking. Cut them off, rude. And now the whole thing just blows up further. Deal with your emotions outside of the confrontation. And lastly, seek healing. Seek healing. Seek healing for all of the weaknesses that play in your inability to confront. From fears to distortion. Seek healing. Ask God to deal with that stuff beneath the surface. And that's what we're dealing with with emotionally healthy spirituality. We want you to deal with that stuff beneath the surface. Because that's what's coming up. It eventually rises and bubbles up, but we hide it. And we hide the real reason why we said what we said and we did what we did. Some of y'all are here right now uh, uh, can't deal with people because you, you've been hurt by people in the past. And so you always put up a wall and you have in your mind, think about this for a second. God tells you one thing, but because of your past experience, you said, oh, God, you don't know what you're talking about. I can't do it that way because I know them folks. I know them Smiths. I dealt with them all my life. And you got to handle them this way. No, no, no. God says, my word says this. And if you do what I say, the power of my Holy Spirit is available to come in and empower you to have kingdom impact in that person's life. But if you won't yield to God, you won't get there. Can I get a witness? Now, now get back. Let's get back. Get back. In my last few minutes, I got to run through these last, last six. And we studied this. Stuff, so I want y'all to get plugged in. Okay. We said using God to run from God is a sign or symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. We said number two, 
ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. When that stuff happens, guys, uh, we got to realize that, that, that we got to do something with it. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not, which means that being angry is not a sin. Because if I can be angry and sin not, that means that the emotion of anger, anytime I'm angry, don't mean that I'm in sin. But the Bible says, don't give place to the devil. Are you with me? So if I'm not careful, anger or the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So if I'm not careful, anger can lead to sin. But anger in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean I'm in sin. If it says, be angry and sin not. So don't ignore the emotion of anger. Why don't you get angry? There's something beneath the surface that, that's percolating you got to deal with. Don't just, ah, I'm all right. No, let's deal with it. Dying to the wrong things. And again, we already went over this, de- denying the past impact on the present. Guys, I'm telling you something. That's something that we, you, these next two chapters, you got to, you, you, in, in our emotional health and spirituality study in the book, please read chapter three. Read all of it. But chapter three, you're going to see that there are patterns that are in our families of origin. There are patterns that tend to to, to move from generation to generation. Isn't it funny how all everybody in your family divorced? Everybody in your family, every generation, somebody had a baby out of wedlock. Isn't it funny how from this generation to the next generation, you see some of the same patterns in families? Y'all ain't noticed that. Well, you ain't looked very close. Because when you start studying, you're going to see some patterns in family, isn't it, isn't it funny how all the Smiths or maybe all the Hardimans, uh, they, they don't, they're not very social, but they, they're nice people, but they don't, you know, they don't, they, they good just staying right where they are. Come on, Hardiman fam, Debbie. Come on, Dick and Charles, Paul. We just, we, you, I don't mean non-social, it's just that, that, that we, we, we're good. It's, it's, it's sort of like there's a pattern there where we're okay with just being by ourselves. You married to one. You know what I'm talking about. Come on. But see, here's the problem. That's okay being cool and being peaceful by yourself. But if we're going to be world changers, if we're going to be disciple makers, if we're going to be kingdom agenda influencers, you can't be a kingdom agenda influencer just standing at your house all the time and not have anybody come to your house. Oh, did that hurt anybody up in this? Somebody, I'm talking about the Hardman because I'm a Hardman. But what about the, the Smiths? What about the Jones family? What about the, what about the Johnson family? What about, what about uh, uh, the Hill family? What about the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Jenkins family? What about uh, the Pollock family? What about, what about your family? What type of family of origin stuff is hindering you from advancing kingdom agenda? And see, that's, listen, it's okay to look back and acknowledge it, but don't let the past hold you up from going forward to your future. God has something he wants to do with all of us and we got to learn to address the stuff that's still shaping us as adults 30, 40, 50 years later, 60 years, 70, 80 years later. Don't deny the past impact on the present. Look back at it. It doesn't have to control you, but learn it and recognize it. Isn't it one of the people who know you well say, you're just like your daddy. And any one of the people that know you well say, you just like your mama. 
Y'all don't got quiet on me in here. I don't want to even call your name. I ain't going to call your name out. But some of your people who know you well know you. And they know your children just like you. They got some ways like you. They ain't all the way like you. But there's differentiation. But they, they got some ways just like you. Because the past inf- influences and affects who we are today. Dividing life into secular and sacred comp- compartments. We talk about that. You can't listen. As a born again believer, we got to make sure that we uh, are not putting God, putting him in these little compartments. God, we'll talk about you on Sunday. But on Monday when I'm at work, uh, this ain't no time for no God stuff. No, God should be a part of how we do work. And our doing work should flow out of our being with God. Our doing sports should, should flow out of our being with God. I shouldn't get on the, on the basketball court and cuss the other players out or as a coach, a Christian coach, cussing in front of 15, 16, 70-year-olds and think it's okay because it's the passion of the game. No, you are a born-again believer and you represent Christ when you're on that sideline coaching, coach. When you're in that classroom teaching, teacher. When you're on that assembly line putting that boat on that, on, that, on that machine, you are now doing that as unto the Lord. So we can't separate. We are, we, our Christianity doesn't stop on Sundays, if it's real now. Now, if you got some fake stuff, yeah, you, you pick it up on Sunday. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And on Monday, you blank, 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 blank. You can't compartmentalize how you do life, how you do your work should flow out of your being with God. Number six, watch this. Doing for God instead of being with God. There we go. I tend to evaluate my spirituality based on how much I'm doing for God. If that's you, that's a sign of emotional unhealthiness. That's emotionally unhealthy spirituality. When you define your spirituality, or you evaluate your spirituality based on how much I'm doing for God. Oh, yeah, I went this, I did that. I fed the hunger, I went to this ministry, I did that. You're doing stuff for God, but you ain't spending no time with him. Here's, think about this for a second. It's been the hardest thing, and I, but I appreciate everybody who, who dialed in. It's been the hardest thing for some of y'all to do some of these studies because you're not accustomed to spending time with God. Not daily. Maybe weekly. But it's been hard for you because you, 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 you say, I don't have time. Think about what you just said. I need you to think about what you just told yourself. I don't have time. Think about what you told yourself. I don't have time. Well, who the Saints play today? Atlanta. Who the Cowboys play today? Nobody else. They've been off last week, too. Somebody said they've been off for a long time. Don't y'all hate on the Cowboys. I mean, Bobby Figueroa's out there. Just, just, we, we got to pray for Bobby. Bobby Bobby's moaning, okay? But, but think about this for a second. We will take two and a half hours. Come on. To watch the game. And if you give two and a half, if you just give two and a half hours twice a week, it, won't even take, it, won't, it really won't even take that long to do your reading, your study. But we say and we tell ourselves, I don't have time. Listen to what we just said. We say we're a child of God. We love God, but we don't have time to spend with him. How many of y'all have been married before or or you are married and your wife or your husband tells me, you don't spend enough time with me. But you know I love you. But you're not spending time with them. 
Oh, pastor, I knew you would bring that up. How many of you tell your children, you you know I love you, I provide for you. Love is more than provision. You got to spend time with the one who you say you love. Don't, don't be guilty of pursuing your career so to the point to where when you grow up and your kids grow up, they don't really know you because you spend all your time working and now they don't have a relationship with you. Spend time, amen? Love is defined by time, okay? Doing for God to the being of God. Number seven, spiritualizing away conflict. I usually miss out on true peace by smoothing over disagreements, bearing intentions, that's what we just talked about, and avoiding conflict rather than dis- disrupting false peace as Jesus did. You know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus didn't just let stuff go. He, he got on his disciples because they, they couldn't even cast a demon out of the boy. Say, oh, you little faith. He confronted issues. He called those religious leaders vipers and snakes because they were taking advantage of God's people. Don't spiritualize away conflict. Matthew 18, 15 through 18. Y'all, y'all look it up when you get home. It talks about the fact that if there's a disagreement or between you and somebody, you go to them one-on-one and tell them it's fault between you and him alone. Christians, instead of you gossiping and telling everybody else how you feel, go to the person who you have the alt with. That's Bible. Tell him it's fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you gain your brother. It says if he doesn't hear you, you take two or three more spiritual brothers and sisters with you and you, and you share so that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word would be established. And if he still doesn't hear it, then you bring it before church council. And if he still won't adhere to the, the decision of the church council, then the Bible says you have to set, you, 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 what you do at that point, you treat him as a, a publican, a tax collector, as somebody who you disfellowship. That's the way the Bible says handle it. When there's an all between the two, two brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? So, but, but again, don't spiritualize the way conflict. Well, you know, I'm just going to pray over it. No, you, that stuff beneath the surface is building up. You go and you deal with the issue. And that's, way, that's, that's the way you keep mess down. But Pastor, you know, I, I got a problem this morning. Okay, for, okay all right, I, I, I feel. Have you talked to him about it? No, I ain't talked to him about it. Okay, all right. I understand you're trying to get wisdom from me, so I'm going to give you some wisdom. And, and, and look at the scripture now. You go and talk to him. Well, I don't want to go talk to him. I don't want to start nothing. You already started something. Because the Bible says you go to him one-on-one. If we learn how to do that, guys, it'll make our relationship more complete and full. Number, number, uh, uh, number, um, number eight. Let's go to number eight. Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Covering over it. We find out that David didn't cover over his weakness. Dick Charles asked a question in our small group uh, the other, not this past Wednesday, but the Wednesday before. He says, what was the difference between King Saul and King David when they were confronted with their sin? King Saul tried to excuse away what he did. King David immediately broke down when, when Nathan, was it Nathan that bust him down and said, you the man? Immediately his heart was broken 
And he started, he writing the song, creating me a clean heart, O oh God, renew within me the right spirit. David knew he had messed up royally and he didn't try to cover and hide and excuse his sin. Anytime you sin and start making excuses for your sin and try to excuse it away, then you haven't really fully repented and you don't know what the love of God is really all about. King Saul made excuses. David acknowledged his sin. If you have a hard time speaking freely about your weaknesses, failures, and mistakes, then you're covering over your brokenness, your weakness, and your failure. You won't let anybody in there. That stuff beneath the surface. Nine and ten, living without limits. Those close to me would say that I often try to do it all or bite off more than I can chew. You got to learn how to pull away. And these scriptures that I give here all talk about Jesus at a certain point in time, even when the crowd was pressing in on him, he would pull away and get some rest. My question to you is, if Jesus needed rest, what about you? If Jesus didn't try to do it all, he didn't heal everybody that was sick. But some of you all, and I know what your heart is, you try to do what's right, but sometimes you can stretch yourself so thin, you're trying to do it all, and, and, and you don't live with, with limits. I have to learn how to put limits. My wife told me, you got to put limits, even on your work at ministry. So you go to work, then you come home and doing work. Anybody in that category with me? Anybody in that category with me? They have to fight to make sure I turn it off. Oh, I'm the only one in here. I'm, I'm the only one in the church. I'm the only one in the church. I'm looking at some of y'all. I, 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 I'm not looking at you directly, but I, I think some of y'all know what exactly what I'm talking about. You, don't, you you got to learn how to have some boundaries. Amen? Don't bite off more than you can. You can't do everything. Lastly, number 10, judging the spiritual journeys of others. And I got to stop on this one. I often find myself occupied and bothered by the faults of those around me. There is a, you know, Jesus talked about in Matthew, the seventh chapter, he talks about removing the log out of your own eye so that you can see how to judge what's happening in somebody else's life. You know, it's commonly thought that in the church that we, 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 we shouldn't say anything about the sin of those who are in our body because we all got something wrong. That is true. We got something wrong. But when Jesus says judge not, he was dealing with the condition of the hearts of those who were trying to make judgment, determination on the righteousness that was in somebody's life. What he said was, you got a big old log in your eye, but trying to deal with the speck in somebody else's eye. What he said was, remove the log out of your eye so you can see clearly how to judge the matter rightly. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, we, we know this before, how Paul says, listen, it's not our job to judge the world. The world's going to do what the world do. Why are you trying to keep trying to make the world do something that they're not even equipped to do? The world is going to do what they do. If somebody's not saved, they're going to sin and do it repeatedly. But in the church, Paul said, it is very much our responsibility to judge those in the church, to judge whether or not that was correct or that was wrong. That's what he said. It. Look in 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 9 through 13. So guys, we're going to deal with the stuff beneath the surface. It may get a little uncomfortable for you, but I, if you would just go with it and, and be honest with yourself. Don't see when you go into this thing, don't be thinking about, well, I can't say that because that was that was that, that was that, you know, I don't want to put mama out there like that. Well, mama, come on. You ain't putting mama out there, but mama had mama had seven kids and never had a husband. That ain't putting out there. We just talking about what's what what is what is the thing that's that may be prevalent in my family. 
you know, we still love mama, but mama. <laughs> and whoever mama was with, that wasn't God's order. We still love mama. We're not throwing mama away. Mama saved. Same five filled the Holy Ghost, but mama, at one time, mama wasn't, mama wasn't talking in tongues. Some point in time, mama was being a little loose. And the church said, amen. I'm going to stop right there because somebody just got mad at me. Give the Lord a hand of praise.